Hey everybody! Hello. So see everyone, and so good to be here on the fifth Sunday of Lent, which is also called Passion Sunday. I don't know if you knew that, but it's really fitting that I'm preaching on Passion Sunday because a few years ago when we were first planted Lifetime Church, we were all in here early in the morning getting all set up, and someone said, "Hey, I'm going to do the Starbucks coffee run." What does everybody want? And all the guys are just like, get me a black coffee. And I said, get me a passion tea. Um, so from then on, the nickname was Passion Tea. And, and when I came here today, that's what they were still calling me. So totally fitting that I'm preaching on Passion Sunday. And Rob tells me that we have been in this Linton sermon series that is going through the liturgical calendar. And so, if you're not too familiar with what that is, I think most of us probably are familiar with that. But it's really this way of connecting with the church all over the world and all through history with these seasonal readings that are set into a calendar so that we can sort of set our hearts together along with everyone else on these things that are in line with the seasons of the church. So, when Rob told me we're doing a liturgical calendar, I knew what that meant. It meant there are multiple scriptures to choose from. And I don't get to preach very often, so I want to preach every scripture. So I told Rob, that's what I'm going to do. So we're going to be here for about an hour and a half. Uh, and if you need to go to the restroom or something, don't because you don't want to miss me. So I'm just kidding about an hour and a half, but we are going to look at both scriptures. So one of them is going to be from the book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 37. And the other one is going to continue from uh, what Rob preached on last week after John 10. will now be in John chapter 11 with the uh, story of Lazarus, now he died and came back to life. Uh, so for the sake of time, I'm just going to read the first one, just seven verses in chapter 37 of Ezekiel. Then later on, we will look at the gospel reading. So please listen as I read the word of the Lord. It's from the ESV. Now the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, or mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know they can live. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I, Ezekiel, prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then God said to Ezekiel, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, or mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he had commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is the word of the Lord. So when I was a little kid, one of my favorite things to do was to play outside. 
And my dad built for me and my brothers a swing set. And it had to have been like 15 to 20 feet high in the air. And at the top of the swing set where the chains hung down, there was also a set of monkey bars that went horizontally with the swing. And so my favorite thing to do was to go outside and I would just be swinging along, living life as life was meant to be lived. That was my favorite thing to do and I felt like I was living life in the right way when I was doing those things. Now, when I look at this story of Ezekiel in chapter 37, it's not just about Ezekiel, it's about the whole nation of Israel. This nation that began by swinging along. It started out with uh, God coming to Abraham. He said, I will make of you a great nation, and it will be as the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky. Um, he said, you will have this great calling as a nation to be a blessing to all the other nations of the earth. Then later on, they crossed over the Jordan River into the promised land. And then eventually, David became the king. And they were at this place as a nation where they were doing just that. They were living out their calling to be a blessing to all of the people of the world. Then Ezekiel comes along later on, and there was a part in his life before we get to the part where he wrote the book of Ezekiel, where he was doing that as well. He was a priest in the temple there in Jerusalem. He had his dream job. He had the ability to live in the place that he wanted to live there in Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar had taken over the north and had exiled people to Babylon, but he hadn't come for anyone down in the south yet. So everything was good. Before we get to our gospel reading, which is the story, as I said, of Lazarus who dies and comes back to life, and I think most of us probably know that story, you have to kind of know what happened last week in chapter 10. And there's a period where the disciples have this particular narrative going throughout the Gospels. So when you're studying the Gospels, you have to know that there's sort of multiple narratives going on all at the same time. One is a narrative of how the disciples are living out what they are meant to do, how they're coming to understand who the Messiah is, and how it plays into this socio-political structure, how they really are hoping that they would be able to be a part of helping the Messiah stamp out the empirical powers of Rome. At the same time, you have the story of Jesus from birth all the way through to his death and resurrection. So you have multiple narratives that are all kind of happening at the same time. And so finally, in chapter 10, Jesus stood up on the porch or the portico of Solomon in the Jerusalem temple. And he said publicly, they asked him, who are you? Tell us plainly. He said, I and the Father are one. No one can have eternal life except through me. And so imagine, you can't just stand up on the temple courts and claim to be God without expecting that they're going to take up stones to kill you. So that's exactly what they did. They took up stones. They were ready to kill Jesus and to uh, do harm to the disciples as well. And there was a miraculous escape. And then they quite literally and figuratively crossed over the Jordan River into the Promised Land and escaped with no problems at all. So I could imagine the conversation the disciples must have had on their way. Wow, did you see what Jesus just did? Finally, we're going to draw our swords and things are going to happen. Uh, things couldn't be better. It was as if they were uh, swinging along and they were living life the way life was meant to be lived. They were carrying out the calling that God had for their lives to be a part of bringing his kingdom into the world. I wonder if we were to look over the landscape of all of our lives, if you were to map out 
the different pieces of your life, from childhood to, to teenage years to the early career in college to the first job and the second job to getting married, having kids, grandkids, whatever those major sections of life are. And if you were to take a red marker and put an X on all the places where you feel like you weren't living out God's call in your life, and then you took a green marker and you put a check box under all the places where you felt like you were living out the call. What would be the places in your life where you feel throughout your entire life you would put the green checkbox? And where would you be in this season of life right now? Would you say that you're uh, swinging along, uh, living life the way life was meant to be lived? I know I was one day when I was a little kid, so I actually did that. I went outside, and I was doing my favorite thing. So I was swinging, and I had this really bright idea that I would get as high as I could, and I was going higher than ever so far that I was passing by three to four feet above the monkey bars. So just swinging really, really high. And my great idea was that I would push myself off and be like a hero, like a stunt devil, and I would, I would do the Superman pose, and then I could just grab onto the monkey bars, and it would be this amazing feat, right? So sure enough, I got going as high as I could, and then finally, when I got up enough nerve and I was going high enough, I came back on the backswing, I put one arm through the chain, and then I gave it a really good push so I could get even higher. I came back on the backswing, put the other arm through the chain, and finally I passed by the monkey bars, I pushed off, I did my Superman pose, just like I said I would. I did, I grabbed on to the monkey bars, but then the heavy weight of gravity uh, took its toll. My feet came out from under me, and then I wasn't able to hold on anymore. There was a series of twists and turns. I had to have fallen at least 15 to 20 feet, and I landed on the North Carolina red clay face down. And the wind was knocked out of me. I had the taste of dirt in my mouth, and my body was in shock. And I remember exactly what I was thinking. How did this just happen? I was just living lives. I was like, meant to be lived. And now I was in this place of pain and difficulty. And this is what happened with Israel. They're swinging along. Everything was good. And then David was the king. Well, after David came Solomon. Then, after Solomon, because of some of the decisions he made, the kingdom split between ten tribes in the north called Israel, two tribes in the south, tribes of Benjamin and Judah called Judah. Well, down through the centuries, that northern kingdom was able to um, be uh, turn their back completely on God. So as things would happen, they would turn their back to idolatry, to other kinds of things, and they never were able to recover. They always had bad kings. And when you have a bad king, that really is telling you what the whole nation is going to be like. In the southern kingdom, you had Judah. And they would turn their back on God in uh, Hezekiah became the king, and they would come back. He was a good king. Uh, same thing happened over the decades, turning their back, and then Josiah became the king, and things were good again. But now Ezekiel is writing in chapter 37, and he's writing about the whole landscape of the nation and how bad it has really become. He says that there are dead bodies as far as the eye could see, but they weren't just bodies. They'd been disintegrated to where they were just nothing but skeletons. And it's even worse. They weren't just skeletons. They were just piles of dead, dry bones. They weren't even connected to the skeleton anymore. And it's even worse than that. It says that they were very dry. 
meaning that they had been dead for a long, long time. This once great kingdom was no longer a kingdom at all. These people who had once been personally escorted into the promised land, they now had been picked up and placed in a valley of death and dry bones. What was once a work of healing had now become a work of resurrection. And the worst part about it is that they once had this great calling to be a blessing to all of the nations, and now they were nothing but a burden. A similar thing happened to Ezekiel. Ezekiel was swinging along, things were good, and then Nebuchadnezzar in the north turned his eye down toward the south. He came in and he exiled 10,000 of the best and the brightest. And among them was Ezekiel. He was sent to a town called Tel Aviv. And it begs this question, does God allow uh, bad things to happen to his people? And the answer to that question is yes, absolutely he does. And in this case, not only did God allow this bad thing to happen to Ezekiel, but God actually had a part in doing it himself. So when you're reading all through Ezekiel, there are a few different things that you, you hear constantly. One is it'll say, the word of the Lord came upon me. So the word came to Ezekiel, and he would write down the prophecy. Or it will say, the spirit of the Lord came upon me. So he's inspired by the spirit, and then he will prophesy out of this inspiration from the spirit that he has. But very few times, and this is one of the only times in chapter 37 where it says, the hand of the Lord came upon me. And he picked me up and put me in a valley of death and dry bones. This once great priest uh, was no longer a priest at all. He was once able to carry out his calling, living there in Jerusalem. But now he was not able to carry out that calling as a priest um, anymore, at least for this time. And so we come to the gospel reading. They're living life the way life is meant to be lived. They're celebrating everything is good. And then they're faced with the news that one of their best friends is getting ready to die. And so here's what it says. Now there's a certain man with ill Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So when Jesus heard of it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So first, everything is good. Then they get news that a good friend of theirs is going to die. And if you've ever been there before, you know that pit in your stomach, that feeling of deep sadness when you know that you're going to lose someone who you love. And then it starts to get worse. We're then confronted with the question, does Jesus allow bad things to happen to his people? And it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So he decided when he heard Lazarus was ill to stay two days longer in the place where he was. So yes, absolutely, he allowed this to happen, and he said exactly why. He said it's for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. And as if that weren't bad enough, it continues to get worse and worse. So now for the disciples, their friend is sick, and then Jesus wants to go back to Judea, to the place where they all just about got killed. So then after this, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? 
So that's the first of three. They say, wait, don't let us go back there. We don't want to get stoned. We don't want to get hurt like we were before. So then they're acting kind of childish. And later on, after saying these things, Jesus said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, number two, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Don't make us go get stoned. He's just fallen asleep. Things just keep getting worse and worse for them, don't they? Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And here comes number three. So Thomas, called the twin, got to his fellow disciples, so he brought just the disciples together away from Jesus. And he said, okay, let us also go that we can die with him. Uh, So here we go. We're going to die as well. What once was going to be a breakthrough celebration uh, was now a burial ceremony. And worse than ever, they had to have felt like they had been living out God's calling, but no longer would they be able to do that call that they perceived God had on their life. What was once a work of healing was now a work of resurrection. So I wonder if there are times when we're swinging along and everything seems to be going well, but then sometimes we get picked up, we get placed into a valley of death and dry bones, and we ask the question, how did this just happen? Is there some kind of thing going on that seemed like it was a work of healing and now it's to the point where it feels like it's a work of resurrection? For many years, I worked with middle school and high school kids. And any of you who've ever done that before, you're going to totally know what I'm talking about. Because we would take them to middle school and high school camps, like weekend trips and week-long trips in the summer and things like that. And every time, there was always like the saying of the weekend, where it would be the thing the kids just kept saying over and over. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever been there? Yeah. So they, they would keep saying this. And one time the saying was, story of my life. That was the one. So you ever heard like, oh, this always happens to me. That's the story of my life. Well, when you've heard it like a million times, it just keeps getting worse and worse. And um, it would always be at the worst times when it didn't make any sense to the conversation. Like, you know, um, hey, uh, do you want to tell me about what you thought of the worship? Story of my life. I'm like, hey, that doesn't even make any sense at all. And, you want to go get lunch? Story of my life. Wait a minute. Um, this doesn't make any sense. And so you can tell why uh, you need a lot of patience to work with middle school and high school kids. Well, this whole idea, story of my life. This whole picture of the world that's separated from God and that God so desperately wants to connect us, it's the story not just of of, um, Israel or Ezekiel or the disciples. It's the story of my life. It's the story of, of all of our lives. God so desperately wanted to bring back reconciliation to this nation of, of Israel. And so if you're reading chapter 37... It can be broken down into two major sections of prophecy. The first one is where Ezekiel prophesies to the bones. And after he prophesies to the bones, there's the shake, rattle, and roll. The bones come back together to skeletons, and then there's sinews and flesh. And they are laying there, dead bodies, as far as the eye can see. That's the first 
section of prophecy. The next section is where he says, now, prophesy to the breath. Anytime you see that word breath, it's the Hebrew word ruach, which is the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 2, when God had created Adam, the first man, and he breathed into him the breath of life. That same life-giving breath that God had given to Adam, God wanted to give to the nation of Israel. So he tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. And I can imagine that with his head held high and with his arms outstretched, he said, Spirit of God, come. From north, south, east, and west, all over the length and breadth of this land, fill us up with your spirit, that life-giving breath that only you can give, so that we who are dead might live. And this was all a prophecy of what was to come. Within 100 years, Cyrus would become the king, and Israel would be able to be resurrected as a country and have their own uh, sovereign ability to rule and reign for themselves. But they wouldn't be able to do this unless they were able to answer the question, can these dry bones live? That's the question that God had for Ezekiel. He came to him before any of this happened, and he said, Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? In other words, do you believe that the God of the universe can do something with you that is far greater than you ever imagined? See, it wasn't a question of whether or not God's plan was going to happen, but it was a question of how Ezekiel was going to be a part of that plan. And because he answered that question the right way, he said, oh God, you know they can live. Ezekiel was able to be a huge part of bringing God's kingdom into the world and bringing creation into fulfillment. That question, can these dry bones live? That's the same question that Jesus had for the disciples in this story. After saying these things, Jesus said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, that you may believe. Disciples, can these dry bones live? Do you believe that the God of the universe can do something far greater than you ever imagined? Then later, he had the same question for Martha. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Then he said four important words. He said, do you believe this? Can these dry bones live? Do you believe that the God of the universe can do something far greater than you ever could have imagined? And she had a really incredible response. She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And so it is that there are times where we're swinging along, living life, the way life is meant to be lived. Sometimes we're picked up by the hand of God, and we're put into a valley of death and dry bones, and everything seems to have been dead for a long time. And we ask the question, what just happened? It is in those moments that God asks us, can these dry bones live? Do you believe that the God of the universe can do something with you that is far greater than you would ever imagine?
I hope that we all will be like Ezekiel and be able to say, Oh God, you know that your dry bones can live. So may we be able to, with our heads held high and with our arms outstretched, say, Holy Spirit, come. From north, south, east, west, all over the length and the breadth of this land. Fill us up with your spirit, that life-giving breath that only you can give, so that we who are dead might live. Let's pray. Amen.